0: .NET Rocks episode 918 with guest Martin Woodward. Recorded live Wednesday, October 9th, 2013.
1: This episode is brought to you
0: by Telerik. Offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at
1: T E L E R I K dot com. And by Franklin's dot net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com.
0: And now, here are Carl and Richard.
1: Hey, Belfast! It's dot net rock! Where the heck are we, Mr. Campbell? Uh, We are in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and this is the last
2: stop on
1: our Ireland tour.
2: And we're in uh, 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 an amazing room here, and Martin Woodward is here. We got a crowd, a throng of geeks, mostly young geeks, some fans, some not fans.
1: Well, it's always fun to talk to new people as well as get to see the old people. We got two new bottles of whiskey to sample. Ah, the Bushmills 12 Distillers Reserve. I'm going to give it a good home.
2: Yes, and uh, tomorrow I think we're going to do a quick tour of the Titanic Museum. Yeah, we keep, well, we're up
1: here. We might as well, and uh, certainly that should be fun. And then take the train back down? Absolutely. In style. Yep. And, and then that's the end of that tour. We'll spend a couple of days in Dublin, and
2: then we'll see what kind of trouble we're going to do next. Well, and everybody knows we're going on a big tour of the U.S. coming up. Go to our website, .netrocks.com, for more about that. Right now it's time for Better Better Know Framework. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Okay, so uh, as you know, Visual Studio 2013 is right around the corner, and we've been talking about TypeScript a little bit, and um, Martin will be talking a little bit more about Studio 2013, but I particularly wanted to call out uh, TypeScript support in Visual
1: Studio 2013 and what that's all about. Because so far, it's just been a sort of an add-in you can go download, right? It's not really tied to studio at all.
2: Right. And so if you can imagine all the good things that you like about C sharp classes, debugging types.
1: Yeah. All that good stuff that makes programming fun. Yeah. And JavaScript actually palatable. Yeah. Okay. I mean, JavaScript's better than it's been, but, uh, but I could, I appreciate the TypeScript is bringing the stuff that I like in statically typed land. Over to us.
2: Yeah, and you know when I think about the things I don't like about JavaScript, it's not the language itself. It's you know the environment that I build it in. I mean, usually it's a text editor, and color coding is enough sometimes. But I really love statement completion. I really love debugging. So you, it's like marrying Visual Studio and JavaScript and Types together, and that, my friends, is some really delicious stuff.
1: I'm in. Sounds good. So if you go to
2: tinyurl.com slash typescript 2013. There's uh, just an overview of what's coming in Studio 13 about
1: TypeScript. Know it, learn it, love it. Hey, Richard, who's talking to us? Well, funny you should ask, because I grabbed a comment off of show 842, and that is the one we did with Mr. Martin Woodward when he was talking about Git with TFS. And this comment comes from a longtime listener, I'm sorry, I believe we said a .NET Rocksbug 2 before, Idu Rand out of uh, Israel. And I do, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, he says, hi great show as usual i'm very surprised to hear that quote visual studio has no git support there is a free open source product called git extensions on github which started back in 2010 it is not integrated into visual studio the way team explorer is but it does have a toolbar integration which can allow you to commit stash push pull etc and the most important part is that it has visualizations of the history and not just a list of commits In my opinion, this is the most important part of the Git GUI, which GitHub Windows clients miss. And as far as I could tell from the videos, Microsoft misses it also. Linux has a utility called GitK, which is on LWN net, which can visualize the Git history. This is the most important part because of the power of Git is not just to be distributed, but to also allow to work locally and push later. When you can work locally and rewrite history once you get it right. As you know, Git has merge, which is almost identical to a centralized source control system, but it has the rebase command as well. The rebase command allows you to rewrite the history. We use it to commit often locally every few minutes. And once we finish the change, we rebase and squash all the local work in progress commits into one beautiful commit that is nice to have around for history purposes. So it makes a tidier history that way. If you end up with all the work in progress commits two weeks, two months, or two years later after you've done them, then you just clutter up the history and it takes the whole purpose of source code management out. No one will ever want to look at that history again. I'm not the author nor getting anything from this great project. I'm just a user who loves it and use it every day for the past couple of years. I do I got nowhere to go. I'll ask Martin to make a comment on that, but that's after we introduce him. I've already sent you a .NET Rocks bug, man, because you're awesome. So ping me back when you get this, and uh, we'll arrange something else for you. Maybe, maybe Maybe a hoodie? Yeah, I think he's due for a hoodie. Do you need a hoodie in Israel? It's pretty warm there. Maybe. Either way, Ido, thanks so much for your comment. Uh, And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows Phone 7 and 8, Windows 8, Android, and iOS. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises, who'd love to build you an app. Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive
2: developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses offered by MVPs, industry experts, and guests of .NET Rocks. They release over 40 new courses every month and still offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. A wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything and everything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And with that, it is my great pleasure to welcome back to .NET Rock's Martin Woodward. Martin is the principal program manager on the CodePlex team at Microsoft. He recently helped add Git support into Visual Studio and Team Foundation server. He also worked on the Eclipse and cross-platform tooling for TFS. Before joining Microsoft, Martin worked at Team Prize and was the Team System MVP of the year. You can find more information at his blog, woodwardweb.com. Say that three times fast, woodwardweb.com. I can't do it. Reach him on Twitter, at martinwoodward.com. Or you can listen to his podcast at TFS dot com if you're really really nerdy. Welcome back, Martin.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. Well, right. welcome to Belfast. I should
3: say. Oh, yeah, you know, so. great to be here.
0: Uh huh. Yeah, I don't, don't know if you know. So um obviously, just round the corner from where we are now is where where we built the Titanic. Uh and if There's a big hole in the ground. You can go see it. It's obvious, right. right? And uh, that's also where where I live, and you know where I work, and I guess where we. Don't let us worry. It's, it's kind of also where we built Visual Studio. So, uh, you know.
2: What does that say about Visual Studio? I it's fine. That.
0: The Titanic was fine when we last touched Down it.
1: to yeah. the bottom of the sea. No, I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah, because I'd point out, you guys weren't driving. Somebody else driving. <laughs> it was in, driven by an Englishman, they yeah, like yeah. to say. Here. Built... Oh! <laughs> yeah, so. Smack! Uh, anything to add uh, with Ido's comments about visualization of history for Git? Yeah, so here we go. This is
0: uh, hardcore already. We're beginning with right out. So it. just to uh, get everybody up to speed, um, Git's what's called a distributed version control tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and with uh, version control, you can you check in files, you commit files, and that stores a point in history. The advantage of distributed version control tools is you can actually. Uh, check-in locally, commit locally, uh, like he was saying. Now, um, Git's incredibly powerful. It's an amazingly powerful tool. And it was written by, you know, Linus Torvalds and a bunch of clever guys and junior
1: and people. It was really about managing the Linux source code originally.
0: Yeah, managing the Linux kernel. And when you actually, it was written also... Um, by a bunch of guys who don't know anything about version control, which is why it's amazing, <laughs> but also why it can be sometimes quite confusing to people who are used to version control systems. Right? Um, it's really just, uh, so the way Git stores history, and for the computer science people in the room, which are no- more in the room than they normally are as mm-hmm. we're at universities, this is great, um, it stores history in what's called a directed acyclic graph, a, a DAG, and, um, see already people are, this is why we don't expose these features, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> it stores history in, in, a, in a, in a DAG, whereas normal source control systems, traditional source control systems, stored history in a, in a linear line. Right. Um, so, uh, the DAG is incredibly powerful and it allows you to store, um, changes and have multiple parents for a change, which is amazing. And it also allows you to very easily rewrite history. Um, because you can replay the history back locally. And to a traditional source
2: control so I'm trying person, to, I'm yeah, trying to imagine me. what a yeah. DAG is in terms of a structure. Is it more like a linked list?
0: Um, yes, a linked list could be a DAG. Now, can a linked list have multiple parents, or does a linked list always have... Uh, I don't see why not.
2: No,
1: it it doesn't. You're asking the Java guy. One one above the other, right? It's it's a a continuous link. You wouldn't have multiple parents.
0: Okay, so um, yeah, it's more um, imagine a, a tree that that splits out and then comes back together again. Okay. So is that kind of it's that kind of shape? All right. So you can um. Now, obviously, you can commit locally. And what's really insanely powerful about Git is you can branch locally as well. So you don't need to go ask anybody's permission when you want a copy of the source code somewhere else to mm-hmm. work on. So people use branching a lot with Git, work on some stuff themselves. And then it comes to getting this commit back into you know, something right. that's sensible.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So now you've, got, you've done lots of changes and you've committed often because you can because it's local. right? And then uh, it's then how you shape that commit. Now, I agree uh, with the question, actually. I like to shape my commits. Mm -hmm. We don't make that very easy for you today with Visual Studio. Right. What we do is we just kind of Allow you to commit really easily and allow you to switch branches really easily. But if you want to do the powerful stuff, rebasing, right. or, or which uh, you can tell it again, written by some cool guys because it sounds like you're taking drugs and things. But yeah, so you, you're, you're doing, <laughs> doing some rebasing. And uh, what you were doing there is you're taking this history, this tree, and you're squashing it down into a single commit basically right. saying, so take these and, 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 and then take that. That's called a squash. And then you play that uh, commit back on top of the tree. So you do that so you can have a nice commit that like this is my change. This is what I meant by this change, right. rather than these are other steps. Because all of us that are coders here know, you know, you make a few changes and then you have to roll some stuff back, and yeah. you know, you don't really want
1: to see all that cruft. Now, once once you've got the three, like you've got a you've got a feature you're trying to develop, yeah, and you want to check in early and often. Yes, right? you exactly. always want to have the bits going up and yeah. playing with them, and hopefully that's invoking some test infrastructure yeah. so you know what the code code's doing. But eventually, once all that. Twitching is done. Yeah. I just want the new feature to be dropped into the tree.
0: Yeah. So what you can do, you can do that a couple of ways. You can do that with merging it in to right. the main, to the master branch. Mm-hmm. But then you, because it, because of the way Git stores history, you still see other changes. Right. So what a lot of power users of Git do is they would do this, you know, uh, squash and rebase. Right. So we see it as a nice, clean commit. Um, the problem you can get into though with squashing and rebasing is if you push history to the server. Mm-hmm. after you you push the changes to the server when you want to share them with your team right and that is the closest thing in a in a centralized version control system to a check in or a commit you know right you push the history and the great thing about distributed version control is history is portable okay so you push all of the changes that's a great thing so all of those changes you did on your machine you're pushing that history to the server including all the cruft if
2: you have
3: right it.
0: once you've pushed that history to the server it's there, and other people can have taken copies of that history mm-hmm. and, and have it locally. If you then squash and rebase your changes and say, hey, actually, the history wasn't uh, I went from here, down the road, round to KFC, had a drink, came back up, but it was I went, had a drink, came back up. Right. Um, if If you then push that second version of history, People start to get confused, and when they do a pull from the server, it, may, it they have to do quite a lot of work to kind of resolve that. Right. So we don't allow today. Um, that's one of the reasons why we don't, su- why we don't make it very easy for people to squash and rebase and in the rebase. UI. However, if you do it in the command line client, uh, because when we built the Git tools, we built them on top of a library called libgit2, which mm-hmm. is an open source library and that we are contributing to. Right. Because we do that, we work very very well with the command line. So a power user can just sit there in Visual Studio, go commit, 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 uh, do all the fancy stuff they want to do. You know, if they're refactoring, it automatically takes care of that for them. But then if they want to do a a, a squash and rebase, they can still do that in the command line. Mm -hmm. They don't even need to press refresh in Visual Studio. Wow! It just picks it up. Nice. And even if you switch branches, it just picks it up instantly. So
2: we've uh, come to learn, you know, through our many talking of to to developers that use Git, uh, that one of the perils of Git is too much branching. So, where is that fine line of of you know branching? Uh, how much is enough? Too much. Yeah.
0: So, interesting thing uh, in in again in source control, um, a branch is basically a copy of the code you're working on, but stored in a separate area so you can work on it. Git makes branching easy to do because you can do it locally, right? And also in Git, a branch lives at the entire repository level so when you switch branches all the files locally become the version they were in this copy of your branch so an example of a branch might be master which is where all your work the main part of the work lives and another branch might be called say production what's been deployed to production right or it might be feature a you're working on the particular feature Uh, branches are great, really powerful. The power of branches is they allow you to work in parallel. Mm -hmm. So I can be in feature A working and you can be in master working and we don't, we don't get in each other's way. Right. Uh, the problem with branching is merging. Yes. Yeah. Branching's easy. You can create branches it, all the time.
2: It's putting it all back together it that's is. the problem.
0: And the problem with merging is and people say, you know, Git's great because it makes branching easy. Yes, branching's great, merging's still really hard. Yeah. Because if you've if we've both edited the same file at the same time, then the basically the second the person coming in merging that change has to decide what's the correct change.
2: So branching can't really exist without version control.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, you can take copies of zip files and stick them places, but you'd be insane. So, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, branching and merging uh, exist in version control, and it's the merging part that's really hard. And the longer
1: you're apart, the longer that branch has been around, exactly. the worse it gets.
0: Yeah, branches are like puppies. You need yeah. to look after after <laughs> them. And so the longer a, a branch lives, the more, you know, love and care it needs.
2: And, and also, you know, you run the risk of using branches as sort of version control itself. You well,
0: know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah it's interesting point so what we do in uh, the visual studio tools and in team foundation server and git shows you this as well is it shows you how ahead and behind you are on a particular branch and the trick is not to get too far behind the branch you eventually want to merge into if you know your change is going to want to go into the master branch you take regular uh, pulls you take regular merges from master over into your feature to stay up to date with the changes Richard's made.
1: Yeah. See, and you're not talking about direct collision here. You're talking about the booby trap of I'm counting on core libraries that I've branched with that I've never altered, but they're being altered in the master yes. because you're fixing bugs and so forth. You, sc- you wanted off for a month to do a spike. And now you've built a feature that you think is going to be really cool, but it's dependent on libraries that are a month old and have moved forward. And now you have to pretty much redo all your work.
0: Yeah. or um, what happens most often in small teams as well is pe- two people just edit the same file at the same yeah. time. You know, and
2: um... so doesn't don't don't sophisticated version control systems know that you have a file checked out and then somebody is going to work against that file, and it should notify these pe- you know the other guys that uh, that hey, I know you're using this. But guess what? Uh, somebody's changed that, and it's checked out. So,
0: um, version control some version control systems can do that. Mm-hmm. So, a traditional centralized version control system, and that's you know, uh, Team Foundation Server, the original Server Workspaces in 2005, or you know, Perforce or SourceSafe. You know, the uh, kind SVN. of the original, yeah. Uh, SVN, not so much. We'll talk about that in a sec. Um, when you edit a file. You actually tell the server, "Hey, I'm editing this file. Uh, please, can I edit it?" And the server says uh, yes, or computer says no. You know, uh, when it comes to then Richard coming to edit the file, he says, "Hey, can I edit this file?" And the computer says yes, or computer says no. But it can say yes. However, Carl's also editing this file.
2: Well, what if what if you're editing this file, but Richard wants to edit the file, but I'm editing something that uses that calls into that file. Exactly. Yeah. How is it does it know no, that? No, it doesn't know. Doesn't know that.
0: And that's why merging changes is complicated because it's not just the files you've been editing. Isn't
2: that a problem that we can solve though? Um, how? References. You code analysis.
0: Yeah, we can do it with by doing language analysis. We found the easiest way to solve this problem is by doing a uh, what's called continuous integration so by doing builds of what's checked in and making sure the code still works when you've checked it in right um and we found that's the most cost effective and easiest way to check what you've but done it's still it a post
2: code it's know. still a post code right thing. Mm-hmm. it's not like hey before you change that uh, you might want to talk to richard because he's making changes yeah
0: now uh, we have some uh Tooling, which hopefully you figure that. that out in your code review. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah, exactly. Hopefully you don't have to get to that point. Yeah, right? well, I hopefully mean, you've talked to Richard as well yeah, if you're in the I team mean, together. I guess, um, right? Yeah. So, but back back to the uh, the point about uh, the the squash and rebase thing. What yeah. I was going to say when you push that history, you can get you can get in trouble if you've pushed if you try and force push if you try and push history that somebody else has pulled already. But if right. you try and alter history, so we don't allow it. You can do it in the command line. What I'd really like though is a feature. Now you guys have been in Europe a little while. Yep. You've noticed on the showers, you have like that you can adjust the temperature, but you know, because of European health and safety rules or whatever, if you want to get a hot shower, you have to press a little button in and yeah. then turn it a little bit more to say, yeah, I, I oh, really. Oh, is that know. the trick? Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. You have to like make it a, hot, a little bit hotter. We want to be able to have a UI that does allow us to do this to, to say, look, I know what I'm doing. Let's push the button in. I'm going to crank it up to 11, right. and uh, I'm going to allow us to squash and rebase. And if you think of the graphical tools we could do around squashing, sure, and sure, yeah, be actually
1: creating visualizations uh-huh. around
0: that. But we actually need to. Put that functionality into the core open source library we use. It's not there today.
2: I can think of so many apps and applications and objects that I would like the "Hey, I actually know what I'm doing" button <laughs> implemented.
0: The trick is not to use it too often. Yeah. I hate the advanced tab. You know, yeah, any UI where, where the developer says, "I know, we'll just stick it in the advanced tab." It's like, oh no, yeah, this it's just UI like the is en- wrong. the
1: endless options tab. Right? Yeah, exactly. A, I didn't know where to put this, so let's add it to the form of doom, <laughs> Miss.
0: Uh, speaking of the form of Doom, <laughs> my favorite feature in Visual Studio 2013, yes. if you go into tools, options, there's a search box now.
1: Oh, wow. Because oh, there were finally, it's that long a list, you just can't find stuff Yeah, anymore. it's like in
2: you Firefox, help about. Does it know? shell out to Google?
0: <laughs> 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 no, it does not. It doesn't use Bing. So, uh...
2: I didn't ask if you used Bing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I heard you say Bing. <laughs> I'm sorry, are we having the same conversation? <laughs> yeah,
1: I just come back from Redmond, the chip's still working. So. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to walk away from Ido's question yeah. just yet. Uh, because one of the things we ran into talking to a few folks yeah, on the road yeah. trip, and I'm seeing more and more, is a distinctly anti-branch culture. Huh. That when you're getting into continuous integration and continuous deployment, uh, I, we want everybody working from master, because the code's going on all the time. You, you can't ever branch. You want to do integration first and foremost before there's any UI, before there's anything else on there. So the code, even though it's not actually functional code or visible code yet, is being deployed. Okay. And so the mindset is just master all the time. So I think possibly what we're seeing there then is um,
0: a reaction against branching done wrong. Yeah, probably. So people, it's like with any new toy. Yeah. People overuse it. And um They have too much pain. Too much pain, pain. yeah, and old memories as well. So what's um, going on there is they're not integrating often. Right. And you need to integrate often when you branch. Well,
1: and I've always appreciated the idea that the this approach to source control benefits the rapid check-in, yeah. work on it, and put it back right away. And it punishes the guy who wanders away for a month because yeah. he's, he's the one who ends up with all of the pain.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, you've got to have continuous integration. Mm-hmm. And and that's why – now, we tend to use – in programming, we use the term continuous integration. And we tend to think, well, I need to build every check-in. Right. But, no, Martin Fowler's paper on continuous integration is actually – we need to continuously integrate. Mm-hmm. So even if you are working on a feature off in a branch, right. you still need to be integrating regularly those changes from master into your feature branch if you're going to be then merging it back into Maybe master. Maybe that's the bad habit here. Somebody thinks, yeah. if I'm on a branch, I don't talk to master anymore. Exactly. And right. then the further you're off on that branch, the, the more pain you're going to have when you come back yeah, in. Yeah, you
1: really are wandering off in the darkness. Uh-huh. Yep. In some ways, I feel like the least of the issues is two people editing the same file. The bigger one for me is this collage of independent relationship between files, yeah, and they all move forward separately, and then you try and bring things together, yeah. So uh, that once two guys are working on the same file, they probably know the same things; they know each other are doing it. Like that seems to be not hard to resolve. It's the guy who went away for a month and missed all the other changes to the system that he should be depending on. Yeah, 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 exactly.
0: Yeah. So continuously integrate would be my tip, and take the, in branching. We have terms, uh. RIs and FIs, so forward integration, reverse integration. But right. It's just all fancy words for make sure you keep up to date. Yeah. If you're going to need to come back, make sure you keep up to date.
1: Okay. That being said, how the heck did you end up at Coplex? So, so yeah. Interesting question.
0: So, <laughs> I um, uh, worked for a company called TeamPrice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got acquired by Microsoft. And they got you too. Yeah, exactly. And uh, luckily, um, normally when that happens, they move you to Redmond and places like yes. that. But, you know, again, great thing, European law, is uh, I'm, a, I'm in a company here. So right. it was kind of, you know, they got, actually, I'm pretty sure they couldn't legally say to me, hey, we want you to move to Redmond right now. So uh, nobody's ever told me to move to Redmond. So I've kind of just kind of hide out is, here. Would
1: you have moved to Redmond? Uh, no. No. <laughs>
0: i live in that part of the world yeah it's yeah, yeah. nice it's a beautiful part of the world yes. and it's one of the few places i go to in the world where you know because i li- live in northern ireland when i go to seattle I'm like wow the weather's fantastic here <laughs> and everybody in seattle go what are you
3: kidding me but...
0: well and
1: i'm up in vancouver this is the, one of the few parts of the world where I say, yeah, it only rained twice last week, once for three days and once for four. And nobody's surprised. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, that's yeah. how that
2: works. Well, yeah, they can tell the weather by looking off over the, over the ocean. You can see that the, there's a four miles out. There's an island, right? And so if you can't see, if you can see the island, then it's going to rain. If you can't see the island, it's raining.
0: <laughs> funnily enough I, I come from a place called morcombe and we have exactly the same expression in morcombe bay so there They're we go funny. yeah so um so yeah i worked uh, worked for this team came over to the team foundation server team when they acquired us uh did the git stuff got friendly uh with lawyers funnily enough when you when you turn up to somebody and say hey uh we're gonna do this thing um it was originally written by linus torvalds right uh, it's GPL v two licensed. Everybody cool if we just check that into Visual Studio and, and <laughs> ship it.
1: So it got kind of friendly with lawyers. When yeah, it, uh, yeah. Uh, and for the, and those who don't know about the GPL license, that's the that's the viral one, right? Well, so it, uh, virals a, a loaded word. Okay. It, it's copyleft is You what must it is.
2: you must share. In <laughs> other words,
0: yeah. It's any changes you make to this library, you must share back to the library. Now, um, one of the things people sort of question around the GPL and GPL V three is around linking to libraries and things and that's a whole a whole debate that, you know, people with neckbeards can get into and yep. go off on. But basically the the moral thing is if you use this library and you make changes, you must contribute them back. Sure. And that doesn't seem like that bad a thing. No. And it it, it really isn't that bad a thing. It mm-hmm. ensures changes come back. What we've found uh, and what a lot of projects, um open source projects have found is that the Uh, licenses like MIT and BSD or Mm -hmm. Apache, these are what's called permissive licenses, and they basically don't say, you must give it us back.
1: Yeah, do whatever you want.
0: What's been really interesting with uh, the internet era is that projects that are MIT and BSD licensed have got really popular, Mm -hmm. and yet they're still getting lots of changes back. Hmm. Why is that?
2: Well, maybe because you can select the things that you want to give back whereas you're not required to the things that maybe are reflect our intellectual property things that are a little more play play closer to our chest perhaps we keep to
0: ourselves Uh, just a guess yeah i think it's the it's the power of the network effect Mm -hmm. if you want all the latest shiny goodness from jquery you need to stay up to date with jquery because if you branch from jquery it's now the longer you've branched from jquery the long, the more hard, the more pains going to be involved when you try and pull a new version. It's exactly the same
1: problem with it's branching. Exactly the same problem, but yeah. put on a much wider scope. Across exactly, open source project. So
0: by in, by pushing your changes to that open source library, mm-hmm. it's now easier
1: to stay up to date. So you. Get the benefit. So, but yeah, you're protecting your effort, mm-hmm. right? If I actually do this work to make it better for me, I'm hoping to get it incorporated so that I don't have to revert it later. Exactly. I
2: suppose it depends on what the li- what it is. Right? Yeah. I suppose it depends on the software, but it certainly does. in a case of a library that everyone's going to use and benefit from, it makes.
0: Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. So anyway, so when I when we did the Git stuff, which was great, and you know we're very pleased with it, and it's the first version of the Git stuff I'll say as well. You know, we definitely have plans that we want to keep adding to it, keep mm-hmm. adding functionality. Um, when we did that, got friendly with the lawyer guys. Um, I already, you know, have experience in open source, and then um, we decided we looked at the the Codeplex codebase. Yep, and we realized. Did you actually get the GPL v2 through? Like
1: the lawyers well, finally a, agree.
0: LibGit2 is interesting because LibGit2 is the open source library that we build um, uh, the Git functionality in Visual Studio from. Mm-hmm. The reason why we use LibGit2 as a library. Is because Git core git, the git command line, which right. is this tool, is actually really bad if you integrate that into a process. Oh really? Because well it so it's 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 got loads of memory leaks for a start. Okay. Because if you're writing a command line tool what do you care about?
1: No, we're going to be around here for a few seconds. The process is going to finish soon. And, and die. Yeah,
0: exactly. So really bad for memory leaks. But So let's say, okay, I'll go through and I'll fix all the memory leaks in CoreGit. How about we do that, guys? Well, that would be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. And then you get to the next point where anywhere that Git encounters an error, process.abort. Bye. Yeah. That's not good when you're running it inside Visual Studio, no, and no. Visual Studio is the process you're aborting. <laughs> it's even worse when you run it in the server, and IIS yeah. is the process that you're aborting. So <laughs> right. uh, yeah, so we don't, that's why we use the library, um, and that is licensed on what's called GPL v2 with a linking exception. Oh, okay. And that basically means any changes you add to libgit, you have to contribute them. You must contribute them back. Right. But if you link this. It's very explicit in its wording. If you link to libgit2 from another program like Visual Studio, yes, you don't need to give all of Visual Studio and everything which ships with Visual Studio, like bits of Windows, <laughs> back under
1: GPLv2. So, that's, and that's how you got it resolved. Yeah, that's how we got it issued.
0: And but we also ship the source code for libgit2 on every single DVD. On every single DVD, uh, it, is the source code. So as well, so awesome. It easy, as well as contributing back to the project. Okay.
2: Hey, Richard. You know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to serious seriousconversation.abort. <laughs> no, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who the winner is, i got to tell you about Telerik Icinium. I C E N I U M Telerik Icenium enables you to develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript. The new release of Icenium will allow .NET developers to utilize all of the Icenium platform capabilities from within Visual Studio. The capabilities include comprehensive backend as a service, integrated support for Kendo UI as well as jQuery mobile, and integrated testing and deployment capabilities, making Icenium a robust end-to-end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icenium, with its new Visual Studio extension, is available on a subscription basis and is now part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a 30-day trial of Icinium with support at icinium.com/dnr. Awesome! So, who's our winner? Our winner today is Simon M. Harris. Give it up for Simon! <laughs> Simon wins the DevCraft Complete Collection—everything uh, Telerik does, almost in one box. And uh, we also give away, in every show, a CD. This is my new CD that I've been working on. Uh, My solo album, Been A While. John Schofield plays with me. You heard of him? Guitar player. Played with Miles. Yeah, good guy. Our winner today is Kent Webb. And you can get that CD at carlfranklin.com. And uh, every show, we give away stuff from Telerik and a CD. And every December, we give away $5,000 $5,000 to one lucky member of the fan club. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and uh, you're a member. We have thousands of members. If you had $5,000 to spend, Martin Woodward, on toys, technology, right now, what would you buy?
0: So um, we've got some... Uh Probably can't afford it. At Five thousand dollars. The thing I really want to get right now is um, some. We have solar panels on our house, right? And even in Ireland, you know, we manage to have. We have panels. sunshine sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the interesting thing is, uh, we generate too much electricity during the day, right? Not so much at night. Mm-hmm. And it would be really cool to have um, lunar to... panels. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Nice. Nice. <laughs>
0: Or yeah, if we had rain panels, that would be even better. <laughs> uh, but anyway, which sadly we don't yet. Um, so I would—I sp- ever spend it to invent those, or we'd get some batteries. I think I would really yeah. like some cool you batteries.
1: Ready to do a, a deep cycling battery system? a yeah, controller,
0: some, something like that, or some way of storing that energy. But obviously, storing the energy is hard. What I'd really like to get is—you um, know—I think I read in Japan the plug-in hybrids they have there yep. because of all the power trouble. Mm-hmm. They're actually able to get plug-in hybrids that they can plug into the house yes. and power the house off. And so that's what I really want is a, a plug-in hybrid car that I can charge up for free during the day when I'm working at home during the day. Right. And then I get free, you know, free gas. In fact, I get paid for my gas because the, the government give me 17p for every unit I generate, even if I use it. Right, it's, it's the best deal ever. Europe's
1: yeah, great. I mean, people forget that a car, especially when you get into the hybrid models, uh, it's about a six kilowatt generator. Yeah. And so the fact that you could, you know, typically with power generation, it has to be stable all the time. So we don't have enough power during the day and we have more available at night. So it makes ch- sense to charge in the middle of the night just to use that power plant power. And if you can put it into your car, even though it's got loss, then you obviously have it available for your car and you want to drive. But then at a peak time, when we don't want you to use too much power, you can draw power from your car. As basically, it's a big battery.
0: Yeah, and like the battery in the Tesla Sedan is like an eighty-five kilowatt-hour battery. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy. it's a
1: monster battery. Don't put your tongue on it. <laughs> that, that would, that'd be a mistake. So yeah, but that's yeah, what you like definitely that. blown the bank, man. That's way yeah, over five. Yeah, you grand. can't get a Tesla. You yeah. like expensive toys. I like. That.
2: You can get a Tesla, but it'd be about a foot long.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: One of the guys in the um, office back in, in North Carolina, he, uh, he's a young guy. I don't know, because that's why you can afford it, but he has a Tesla. And I had a ride in you know, the Tesla, the, the one that's built on the Lotus chassis. Right,
1: the Roadster.
0: It's,
2: it's insane. Have you been yeah, in one? I've been in a Model S. Yeah, it's wonderful.
1: But just the 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 sheer acceleration. The acceleration actually, is unnatural because yeah. we've been really programmed that there's a gear change. There's that surge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And in the and in the roadster especially, it just pins you in your seat and keeps pinning you in your seat, and it keeps. It's that roller coaster effect. You go feel like you're going to die.
0: I haven't experienced like binary acceleration. So <laughs> I was in when I was in New York in a taxi. That was binary the last time. Binary
3: acceleration. Yeah, yeah it's really. Right. It's
2: like first you're here,
3: then you're here, and your <laughs> cheeks
1: are flapping. Yeah, it's crazy. I always thought that they modified. New York cabs, so they don't have a gas pedal anymore. They just have a toggle switch. It's <laughs> either yeah, so exactly. full throttle or full brake. There's nothing yeah, in between. Nothing in between. Gee, I don't think you've actually explained the whole oh, thing sorry, about yeah. how to get to code. Yeah, blocks. how to get
0: to code. So we, TFS team, <laughs> there we go. Sorry, a big tangent there. Okay.
1: And um,
0: the what we've decided to do is. If you look at the Coplex code base, which has been written for the past say, eight years sure. by a bunch of incredibly smart guys like, you know, Brad Wilson's been on the team. Jim Newkirk's been yeah, on the team. Yeah. Jonathan Wangle. And uh, all these guys have been really, really cranking on the code. And if you look at the amount of code they had to write to make TFS work for open source developers. Yeah. It's like, h- hang on a minute. Why don't we just go fix TFS? and make it work for open source developers. So that's kind of what uh, I'm going to be doing is helping out with the team and trying to help do that. But because I kind of understand
1: the open source community as well, make sure we do it right. So it's really about improving the relationship between TFS and CodePlex so that we can, I mean, it's a real, uh, we've been using TFS as a service for humanitarian toolbox. Yes, indeed. And one of the battles that we have right now is that, if you're interested in contributing to it, and for folks who, who don't know about Humanitarian Toolbox, please go to htbox.org. So we're building software for disaster relief. The, the, the professionals, they need all kinds of programs. And uh, we've, we're, we've got about five projects on the go right now. There's about 40 more in the hopper. And they're in GitHub. Yeah, well, some of them are in GitHub and some of them are in TFS as a service. I mean, we're sort of mixing them. But mm-hmm. the problem we've got with TFS as a service right now is you can't see any of our projects no. until we sign you up. Exactly. So what I like about GitHub is you don't have you don't have to know us. You don't have to talk to us. You can go take a look at a project. Yep. Heck, you can even take a pull from it and, yeah. and and mess around with it before you ever talk to us. Where with the the, the TFS as a service approach, you have to sort of have a relationship with us and get signed up before you can see anything.
0: Yeah, so that's the current service. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you could be hosting them in Coplex as well, and then they would be open. And that's our intent is to, yeah. to
1: get there so that folks can, with a very low level of friction, be able to use that. We exactly. just got to get better integration.
0: And I, I remember talking with the guys when they were looking at using the service. And one of the reasons that why they wanted to use the service for this project, even though it doesn't yet have the ability to just right-click and say, make it public, mm-hmm. Um they wanted to use it because of all the agile planning tools yep. and all the, you know, all the planning tools that are built in that were designed. Yeah, the ALMs. Built. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, it's trying to fix that. So for the, for guys like Humanitarian Toolbox, it'll be
1: absolutely amazing. Sure. I mean, in the end, everybody's a volunteer. So, yeah. you know, we put a volunteer team together, to work on a project. And these guys go, Hey, we all know TFS. We want to work in TFS. Yeah. We're not going to stop them from doing that. Exactly. Same way we don't stop them. They say, we know GitHub and we want to work there. Like, yeah. fine, work there too. And I think Coplex will be a part of that as well.
0: Yeah, and one of the good things, again, about distributed version control systems is that uh, history is portable now. Yeah. So um, you can transfer repositories around very, very easily right. and have history now. Yeah. Which is great, which means, I mean, it's one of those things, you know, uh, it's slightly crazy for the version control guy to be suggesting this, but it's now the end of, ven- Git is the end of vendor locking for version control. Right. Because you can now transfer your repository to whoever you want to have it and host it with. It's and it's one of the
1: conversations we're actually having is does it make sense to maintain a repository for a given project in both Git and CodePlex?
0: In GitHub and Coplex? Mm-hmm. Um it depends. We do have some groups that do that yeah. because um Coplex has some features that GitHub doesn't have and vice versa. Yeah. Um, like one of the things that people quite often like about Coplex is the, so the discussions and the issue tracking. Yeah. It's quite lightweight or other sorts of things. Um, so it can make sense. Uh, normally it's, it's good to, if you're going to keep one thing like your code somewhere, yeah. I would recommend you keep your code in one or the other. Right. Um, because if you start keeping your code over in Coplex, um, and in GitHub, then you risk people making Changes or requesting changes on one version and yes. not seeing changes that somebody else had requested. So yeah. you have to be careful about splitting your community too much, but for sure we, you know, we, we, I know a lot of the GitHub guys from working with them on libgit too. You know, I'm great friends with some sure. of the guys there. Um, anybody that's helping people do open source is a good guy in yeah. my book. Uh, so we're all in this together, try and help people get code out there. Yeah. So just use whatever works for you yeah. and share it between you.
2: Uh, Can we talk about some of the other things in Studio 2013 that you're really jazzed about?
0: Yeah, sure. So, uh, as I say, I've come onto this Coplex team, and I'm new on the team, and so... I've got to understand this huge code base that's been written by clever guys for eight years. There's a lot of code there. And it's, you know, every single technology that's come out of Microsoft in the past eight years is in there somewhere. So, you know, it's all different flavors of ASP Nair and all sorts of things. So uh, one of the things I've had to do is really go and understand this code to find out what's there. I've had people, it's like the office problem with the office ribbon. People come and ask me for features. And I go, yeah, sure. I'll go and look at how we would add that. I start looking through the code, go spelunking. And I'm like, Oh, it already it's does that. There. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, just trying to find this code and go, like, say, code spelunking is, right. uh, yeah, is quite tricky. Spelunking. So, um, one of the great new features inside of Visual Studio 2013 is a thing called code map. Which yeah, you can actually right click on a class, and you know the whole find all references yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. Where you can do that visually, mm. which is interesting. So you now get a picture of it, which is okay. But the really cool thing in 2013 is that's integrated with the debugger now. Whoa. And the call stack.
2: Okay. Whoa. Wait a minute. Blown. Mind blown. Hang on now. How does that? Give me. Yeah. A, 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 give an example. Yeah, yeah. So
0: you can be you can be in the debugger and you can set a breakpoint on the part you know is going wrong. And then you can say, give me a map of this, please. And it'll draw a little map of a class with the dependencies. Okay. And then you start, you know, stepping through the code. And you see the new part of the code appear in the map with a little arrow of where you are. So if you walk up the code, the call stack, the and map actually, changes? Yeah, and it'll show you an arrow where you are in the call stack. And then this is the best bit. This is a bit I love. You're going through a for loop. And you know you've been going, you're going for a big loop, and you're trying to figure out. It goes wrong here somewhere. It goes wrong here somewhere. And if you're really clever, and you you can probably do conditional breakpoints, but they just blow my mind and yeah. and perform really yeah, badly. Sure. So I end up just hitting you know F10 or F11 a lot <laughs> of times until, and then you're doing it, and somebody comes to talk to you, and you keep pressing F10, yes, and right, and yeah. oh, I missed it. I missed that <laughs> variable. Well, the best thing with the code map is you you know you're stepping through your loop, you're going through your loop, and a yeah. boom, a new class appears, and you're like, oh. I went somewhere else, you know, right. it's, it's giving you, we do a lot of situational awareness. All
2: right. So instead of, you know, instead of jumping into some other code, you can yeah. just see where it is in you, the map. You
0: can see it in the map. Yeah. You're still jumping into it in your sure. code screen, but yeah, you see yeah. the little map change and you're there and you, and you really notice that. Mm. And we've actually been doing a lot of work with Microsoft Research. Wow, and, I love that. Yeah, it's really you powerful. We've been trying to do uh, work on research that was originally done for fighter pilots and uh, air traffic controllers around situational awareness.
2: Is that so, is that code map something you can just sort of keep on a its own screen all yep. the time? Yeah. Yep. Because with Visual oh. Studio you can drag
0: any any tab and just position on any monitor now.
1: What about if I did a step over into yep. a call and yep. a new class got called? Would it still appear on the map? Uh, yep, it can do. I'm trying to. Think, I'm, I'm trying to. Yeah. Yeah. So imagining a loop where I I just want to watch the loop and I'm checking values, but I don't want to go into all the details. Yes, you so Step does, over, definitely. step over, step over. I'm not going to ever see the code jump, but if it appeared on the map, I'd know right away. Oh. We did something weird there. Yeah. Maybe exactly. now I want to go back up the stack and see where we went. Honey,
2: I need to buy a new monitor. Yeah. And Sorry. then combine
0: that
1: with IntelliTrace. Yeah, so, okay. IntelliTrace is a feature in
0: Visual Studio. It's like, uh, so we're, we're in Northern Ireland now. It's not the TiVo of debugging, it's the Sky Plus of debugging. <laughs> so, there you go. So, basically, you can pause a thing that's gone wrong and you can, oh, it went wrong. I'm pausing live TV and you can hit rewind and actually step it back and see what happens. You yeah. see that new
1: thing appear, you start going backwards in time. Yes. Why
0: did that happen? Oh, I missed an, I missed a
1: semicolon out or something like that. Right. Yeah. Some of the weird call went down there. We missed the parameter pass here and it said an overload. And exactly. And all of the goofball Oh, this that is happens.
0: a zero array rather than a one array. <laughs> However,
2: when you, you have to turn Intel trace on and when you do turn it on, it's, it's not something that's on all the time,
0: right? It is. All, you can, It's on all the time by default locally. Oh, it it's is. not on all the time in production, obviously. Oh, wait it was a minute. Thought,
2: which is the one that's really, uh, that's
1: really heavy and generates a lot of data? It's IntelliTrace. Yeah, it,
0: yeah but it doesn't log it to files. It's, you know, it, and it keeps it. It's, we've done a lot of
1: performance work on IntelliTrace lately, but yeah, it's on by default. Yeah, yeah. But it's not something you want to run in production anyway, but when you are debugging, you want that thing on. Mm. It's awesome. But yeah. I have actually, you know, run IntelliTrace hard and generate multi-gigabyte files because oh, yeah. it spits out some data. Yeah,
2: definitely. That's the conversation I was remembering. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now you
0: can, if you, if you, if, Sometimes, um, and this actually happened to me on Sunday, so uh, you're having a problem that's in production Mm -hmm. and it's killing a site and you really can't figure out what's going on. It's not repeatable in the lab. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it is really handy to be able to get that data in production. So what we actually have is now the ability to run with PowerShell, quickly switch on IntelliTrace in production, get the log data and then quickly switch it off again and then take those IntelliTrace logs bring them back to Visual Studio, and then play them back. So it's like taking a recording off somebody else's DVR. Yeah, uh, no, it's,
1: it's, it's very uh, black box on the airplane kind yeah. of thing. You can literally take a snapshot from the production server. By the way, you will know, as a perfmon guy, yes. when you do that, you will notice. <laughs> yeah. if the server goes, ah! yeah. But you do get a chunk of data out of that. Yeah,
0: exactly. Now, the problem is when you're tracking down perf problems is that you put a completely different load profile on it yeah. now, and so the problem won't happen. Yeah, well, so guarantee but,
1: it. And, then, and that's when the devs say, hey, just leave that on all the time. Yeah, right? exactly. And the problem yeah. goes away. Just delete yeah, the log by, file. By slowing our site down a 100 what can, times. What could
0: happen? Yeah. The Come timing on. problem's gone away now.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you're exactly right. I've had that kind of situation yeah. where the it's very, you know, uh, observer effect. As yes. soon as I actually have the tools to understand what's going on, that alters it. Yeah. Way.
0: So the other thing we did in this kind of situational awareness thing is we've added what's called, gosh, what's the marketing
1: name for it now?
0: Uh, <laughs> code Lens. There you go. I knew it began uh, with code. I have oh, not but, heard this term, sir. Okay. Code Lens, if you go in now inside Visual Studio, Above methods, you'll see this little bit of gray text, mm-hmm. just a small bit of mm-hmm. gray text. And um, it tells you, for example, how many references you have to a method. Oh. And so all of a sudden now when you're in the code, you think, hmm, six references? Okay. Or zero references? Yeah. Okay. What is this doing? Yeah, exactly. So how, it's like important? a background
2: cross-referencer or something? Yeah, it's That's...
0: telling you what's there. And wow. you can actually click on the six references and easily get to the references. Oh, nice. Combined with a feature called Code Peak. You can click on where well, you can hover over a reference and it will give you a little preview of what actually that oh, code is. Wow. You can click on it and it gives you a code peek where it shows the code that you're referring to in line. Inside oh, no. the editor. Whoa. And it's a, an, it's a whole new editor inside the editor. So
1: you, you basically open the editor as a window.
0: As a, as a little panel. Yeah. Inside the editor. <laughs> and you can just get rid of it really quickly. So you're not losing state. You're not losing context yeah. as to where context. you are, but you can still go exploring. The other parts of code lens we've added is, um, things like if there's a unit test for it, it'll show you, you know, seven unit tests, seven mm-hmm. passing and it's just gray. Now, if there's a failing unit test, on it, then it actually gives a little red dot next to it and says one of seven failing. And you can go click on it, see what the failing unit test is, and run it from there with never leaving code. You don't have to jump over to Windows, you just go run it there.
2: Is there any excuse for bugs?
0: (laughs) You always excuse the bugs when I'm coding. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though.
2: How about the... uh... The the quick search or the quick find tool, that's a new feature, isn't it? Or is that in 2012? That was in 2012, yeah. yeah. You just
0: hit Control, comma, and yeah. then come up and get there really I quick. A lot really of people fast.
2: still don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, so but.
0: Control, comma. It's a new Control, Shift, N. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: You find anything anywhere in Visual Studio. It's, it's really cool. Better than searching through the, the help file or tools options or anything.
0: Yeah, so yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh code lens, code peak, code map, code everything. It's all all about code. And we've done a lot of work to try and just remove the friction of developers and try and help developers stay in context. Because I work at home, you know. If I get somebody, the kids now know if the door's closed, you know, try not to come in. You know, if daddy has the headset on, then you're not even allowed to come in to steal paper from the printer. You've what I said about
2: TypeScript, is that pretty much your experience?
0: It is. We use TypeScript for Team Foundation Server, um, and it has helped us uh, detect a whole uh, new raft of problems. Interestingly, uh, which then, you know, we didn't uh, get into production, particularly around actually uh, cross-browser uh, support, because it's... Generating a lot of JavaScript for you. Yeah. It generates good JavaScript, and so you find that it's we've had a lot less cross-browser problems. Do you get all of those
2: great new debugger features with TypeScript as well as C Sharp?
0: Um, I'm actually not sure. I haven't tried it with the latest version. Mean, yeah, the
2: debugger is the debugger. The debugger it? is
0: the debugger. Um, it does have a language uh, parsing in there, so I guess it would, but I would need to check mm. to make sure. Yeah. But uh, no, it's it's saved a lot of time. One of the things that it did. Uh, we build the TypeScript files. And they've been doing um, a lot of improvements on the build time. Um, Originally, when we first started using TypeScript, it added significantly to the build time because it has to compile the JavaScript. Sure. Uh, Whereas now it's got uh, this last release that just shipped is significantly, orders of magnitude faster at compiling. So it's fabulous. So you just don't even notice it anymore. It just
1: works. I like that. It's always been a battle to do JavaScript well inside of Studio and CSS even more. Yes,
0: yeah, and all the CSS tooling and being able to actually, ins- you can now inspect a page element inside Visual mm-hmm. Studio and actually go straight to the parts of CSS and parts of it. yeah.
1: That's always the challenge when you talk about multi-class analysis, just trying to figure, I'm, I'm looking at the way this, this feature looks on the page. I'm trying to figure out who's doing this to it. Yeah, exactly. What styles are being applied.
2: Yeah, it's sort of, Uh, aspect-oriented CSS, you know, where you have these sheets that exist somewhere else and then you're trying to figure out why this thing is behaving the way it is and then have to go find class somewhere else and and all of its derivatives and things, Yeah, it's why kind having, of difficult. You know? It is. It's yeah, it that's gets why,
0: tough. We're having the service behind helping you if that's good. But any language that's, um, I mean, MS build or, you know, make type languages are the same thing as well where yeah. you have, kind of have to read it backwards to you make to sense of what happens. So right. they're always they're always hard to do. But it'd be
2: nice to look at a div or an element and just see the style, Yeah, you know, to be able to hover over it and just see what all the style Yeah, the, the, the whizzy-
0: previews and things yeah. like that. So, yeah. Now, when in the web tooling, when you've actually got all those windows open and you may be doing some breakpoints and things, one of the problems that happens, uh, again, if you need to context switch yeah. is that, um, you've got all these windows open, you lose where you were. Mm-hmm. And so a feature we added in 2012 is around the, my work, it's called, but it allows you to suspend and resume tasks. Right. And so if somebody comes in and say, Hey, we've got, you know, sites down, we need you to go look at something. We need you to fix something. Uh, you can suspend your task and it takes all those windows that you have open, you know, debugging this complicated problem. It, it sticks them all in a in a shelf set in Team Foundation version control and stores them the way. And then you can go work on what you're doing, check it in, and then you can say resume. And when you hit resume, it doesn't just resume your changes that you were working on, even though you hadn't checked them in. It also resumes all of your windows, all of your breakpoints, all of your conditional breakpoints, everything. It's just, you know, helps
1: you get back into the right I ended up just mind. getting another machine. That's how much of a pain <laughs> in the ass that was. Really? Seriously? I had a big, I have a big main dev machine. Yeah. And you know, once you've got in the flow, everything, yeah. the right things are open, you're in the place. And then I get interrupted. Yeah. And it's like, no, I'm not actually going to touch that. I would turn around different machine. Right. It was worth it yeah, because yeah. Pro- that I had a third – just go how crazy my environment. I have a third machine that's just email, Twitter, and IM. Wow. Because if you have any of that on your dev machine, you get interrupted. Like my productivity is measured in interruptions per hour. Right. Like that's all that matters is how often am I interrupted?
2: Your anti-productivity is
1: measured. You in should
0: have you go talk to some of these guys' managers as well, see if they can justify a t- a c- So here's how I machines. did.
1: I've talked about this before. The correct number of interruptions per hour, by the way, is 0. 0.25. <laughs> so I was so frustrated with the interruption rate working in an office that I had a sign that said interruptions per hour yep. and it had a little hanging thing. And when the phone would ring, or someone would knock on my door, someone would ask me a question. I wouldn't talk. I just walk over, change the number, Which is and sigh, then say slowly. <sighs> yes. But that was the point: was trying to convey this idea. When you, it doesn't matter what question you ask me. You ask me a question. Yeah, and I just it's a huge. It takes so long to pick up the threads of a problem into your head and get into that space. You can't be interrupted, mm-hmm. and I think part of it is. Laying all the correct information out on the screen the right way. Uh, the correct answer is more screen space. Like, yep. there's no such thing as too much screen space. Although the last machine I built is pretty close to that. It's about five foot wide of screen. Yeah. I got about 4960 by 1600, which is a lot of screen. I need a rollerball. There's no mouse pad big enough for me.
0: One of the things about the, the my work I really liked was the fact we put the, the cursor in the right place for you and scrolled the screen what we've done as well in 2013 in that code lens you get to see the changes yeah and you can see the files that have changed and if you you know so classic problem is the test broke something's gone wrong mm-hmm. okay so i see seven changes who's the last click on it the last person to change it and this is never leaving the code window last person to change it was martin usually if it's broke <laughs> uh, you you say oh that's interesting Let's double-click on that change set Mm. to see what changed. You double-click on the change set. Mm -hmm. It shows you a diff of the change set of the file you're looking at. Scroll down to the method you were on when you went to go see what's changed. It's just, yeah. And it's little things like that that you don't notice as a user because it it just did what you were wanted.
2: It's almost like you're working for the NSA.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I don't know what
2: you mean. That's a vicious rumor. What's, uh... (laughs) What's... That's an American joke. What's uh, visualstudio.com all about?
0: So visualstudio.com, um, Richard mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's where you can go uh, today. Everybody in the room can go. It's free. Go sign up for an account mm-hmm. at tfs.visualstudio.com, and you get um, a source, you know, the power of Team Foundation Server, so source code, work item tracking, builds, all that sort of stuff, all hosted for you so you don't have to install it, hmm. um, all in the cloud, you know, the cloud, backed yeah. by the power okay. of the cloud with builds in the cloud. <sighs> and you can deploy to the, the cloud, cloud. <laughs> exactly. So. And, and cost? Uh, the cost for up to uh, a team of five is zero. Great. And uh, if you have an MSDN subscription as well, that it's uh, included in most MSDN subscriptions. So
2: it doesn't matter for how much software you build. If you have a team, if you're one person or five people, you're, you're it's free.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it, so it's great for those little personal projects, just yeah. keeping some code there. It's great if you're you know working away with a team. Uh, it's it's fantastic. We haven't announced the the pricing. If you are more than a team of five and you don't have MSDN subscriptions, we're going to be announcing that soon. I think cool.
1: And, of course, the whole MSC, if you have an MSC subscription, you have all kinds of things around the yes.
0: cloud. Yes, the and Azure. there are some uh, students in the room as well. If you haven't got a DreamSpark subscription already, get one. You just need to go to, is it DreamSpark.com, I, so. I yeah. guess? Search on Bing for DreamSpark. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find it. And uh, if you go there, uh, you, you, if you use your email address, your academic email address, um, it'll, it'll allow you to register. Right. And if anybody in the room... Um, has been tried to get registered and can't, then just come see me and I'll, I'll get you a code.
2: Okay, I know this doesn't translate well on a radio show, but you brought some toys. What did yeah, you bring? You th- bring Brian the Build Bunny?
0: I thought this would be great for radio. So I brought a couple of things. First of all, so I like my toys. I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. I, yeah, And normally when I'm talking... I'm traveling with hand baggage, so I don't get to, I don't get to bring toys around. So I thought I'd just show a couple of toys. So that there, if anyone wants to check, go to YouTube and see Brian the Build Bunny. I just thought I'd bring Brian here because he's cool. So what does he do? Uh, Brian's a singing, dancing robotic bunny rabbit that tells me when the build's broke, his little ears flop down and, uh, if the build's working, his ears are up high. If the build's working, but the unit test passed, then one ear's up, one ear's down, sort of thing. <laughs> and he speaks out the the check-in comments. So when people leave a comment when they check in, he yeah. reads them out for me. That's and so it's just awesome. background noise again. And does
2: this just go on your desk?
0: Uh, well, he did. He now lives in the Great Hutch in the Sky, otherwise oh. known as the Attic, because uh, sadly, um, his parent company uh, went bankrupt. And so oh. now he's no longer connected to the internet. So Brian's oh, well. dead, unfortunately. Oh. But uh, never mind. Oh. So he's cute, though, isn't he? Yeah, it's
2: it's a shame he didn't reproduce.
0: <laughs> exactly. We should have cloned him. And then the um, the next thing I was wanting to bring along, this is a project, just a preview of a project I'm going to be working on and posting, but um, the code will be on Coplex. So
2: This looks like, did you ever see Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? No, no, that's not. I that didn't come over here. No, no, no. Okay, well, that was on PBS, and he had this traffic light that was sort of hanging up in his living room and it had the red yellow and green but this is looks like two traffic lights one red and one green
0: yeah so this is these are actually uh if you've ever been to berlin um these are the it's the apple man or uh, you know if say that like in a german accent apple Mansion or something I like that know. and it's uh it's the t- they have a cool sort of slightly camp trendy uh, pedestrian crossing man it's cool and um uh, you see it there and uh, he's um a really cool thing and so I you thought, stole these from Germany is you that actually what buy saying? them in a uh, shop there's, okay. a, there's a shop there that you can buy them from so I, I bought them thinking well, that would be cool to do something with right and then I've been sat with them at home for ages trying to think what what cool thing can I do with them um so what I've done is this is hooked up uh, yeah okay, I've hooked it up to a um a raspberry Pi. Cool. So in there is a, a small embedded computer called the Raspberry Pi. It's very cheap. You can just go buy one. 35 runs, bucks. Yeah, it runs embedded Linux. Built in Britain as well, right. so that's good. Uh, built in Wales, actually, but there we are. There and go. then um, it's also on top of it got a thing called a Pi Face. If you haven't seen that yet, it's a new extension board to the Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, very cheap and just gives you a few relays, some switches, some LEDs, and it's a great way of playing with this little embedded computer. So what I've done is just hooked up the Raspberry Pi Went round Ikea because you know, you want some cheap things where, where best to go? Ikea's Ikea is down the road. <laughs> so, uh, and you can
2: get some meatballs, you get, get some time.
0: meatballs and some hot dogs. It's fabulous. So, uh, hooked up some uh, diode LED lights into that, and that gives you a 12 volt supply as well, which I can take 12 volts off the lights run that through a car cigarette lighter adapter to then convert to USB, which then powers the Raspberry Pi.
1: Nice. So So you have one power supply for both the lights and the Raspberry Pi.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now I've got a self-contained little unit that can, all powered by a Raspberry Pi, all off one plug.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. So you can essentially, what, send it a text message to turn
0: the lights on and off? So I wrote some Python code, which, again, we'll post on Coplex, which uh, calls a new REST service that lives over in TFS, so visualstudio.com. And it tells me when the build's broke or failed. And this is just there on visualstudio.com. So this Raspberry Pi, and it's got Wi-Fi on here as well. There's a little wireless thing. It just sits there. Seeing if the build's good or bad and, right. and lights up for red me. light, green light. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it was the rest interface. It was like four lines of code to write. Mm-hmm. So then I built all this inside a, a shelf inside IKEA. Normally this is a shelf Ikea. like that.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, but then I put it up, you know, on my wall and, uh, yeah. So it just sits there, but it's cool. And if anyone wants to hack around with things and then I'm using, um, storing all the source code for this is obviously in TFS, you know, and all the work items and using, I used Git for this. We actually. Uh, f- we, for Git you can obviously just use Git on Linux it works surprisingly well considering it was written by the Linux guys funny Um but we also have a command-line client for Team Foundation Version Control, TFVC. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the lesser-known facts about the command-line client for Team Foundation Version Control is there's actually binaries compiled for the Raspberry Pi because because wow. I had one. So I just, <laughs> I just compiled it and checked them in and kind of didn't tell anybody. Yeah. So, By uh, the way, uh, Raspberry yeah. Pi too. And I don't know, it's strictly supported. I don't know if you, if you called up customer support and said, hey, <laughs> TFS isn't working on my Raspberry Pi today. <laughs> I'm not sure you would get that as a paid support Incident. They could pass them through to you. That's yeah, what we Yeah, happen. exactly. But there's a little Easter egg in there for you. If you want Raspberry Pi support, it actually works.
2: All right, Martin, so what's next for you? Where are you off to next?
0: Yeah, so we're trying to, as I say, we've got all this work with Coplex, uh, get that up to speed. We've also been doing some uh, work lately just to try and make sure Coplex is a great site for people to collaborate with open source. So if you've got academic projects or if you've got any kind of projects you want to work on, uh, look at Coplex if you want to make them public. If you want to keep them private and you're in a small team, then look at uh, TFS.com. VisualStudio.com.
2: all right hey big hand for martin woodward give it up and we'll see you next time on dotnet run thanks for listening and remember pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online pluralsight.com